Jeff, do you love your wife as much as Andre Ware loves Zach Wilson? No. No, and I love my wife a lot. Uh, but the only love affair that I could think of that rivals what Andre Ware has for Zach Wilson is what Rod Gilmore has for hearing himself talk. That might be true, actually. I, I mean, I told my wife during the third quarter that I loved her more than the – I was like, I love you more than the announcer that was talking about Zach Wilson. And she just kind of blankly looked at me and said, well, I would hope so. So, the but, I mean, I kind of feel the same way towards Zach Wilson after watching that game. That was unbelievable, man. Like, Even look, though- I, I know it was Louisiana Tech. And we talked about it earlier this week, how awful their secondary was. But performances like that don't happen against even bad teams, right? right. I mean, that was spectacular. Well, and that was a better game than, yes, I know he had the perfect game, 18 for 18. But, well, I mean, this game he started out 19 for 19. So he bested that before he even had an incompletion. And this first incompletion was basically a throwaway. Um, but the types of throws, it wasn't just that he was putting up numbers and completing a lot of passes. Like, it wasn't all slants and check downs. Like, he was making big time throws all over the field. Like his spray chart, if we go back on and look uh, on PFF tomorrow, his chart is going to be all over the field. It wasn't, you know, he didn't have some bread and butter play. It was literally everything he did. He was seeing the field and putting the ball dead on the money. Yeah. I mean, some of those throws that he made, I, I don't know if the, and I consider myself a casual fan, so I don't want to talk like I'm some football elitist because I'm not, but I don't know if the, the everyday fan catches like how difficult some of the throws that Zach makes are like the throw that he made to Gunner, um, you know, right at the front pylon where he was on the run and he put it on a dime. Like that was unbelievable. And everybody recognizes that was unbelievable, but the, maybe the most impressive throw to me was uh, when he found Gunner on a back shoulder pass and he was standing on the opposite hash, he threw it across the field and something like 25 yards downfield. And he put that ball on the money and the timing of that was perfect. Like those are the kinds of throws that NFL quarterbacks make. There was those two throws. And then he also had, it was like a deep dig. It was a kind of a, it was a mid range ball, but you'd call it like it was deep for a dig the ball that the sliding catch that Neil Powell had where he was on the run and just gunned it, like basically put it on Powell's left hip just where he could come back and slide to it. And then also on the magnificently beautiful chef's kiss Mason Wake reception where he, another time he was on the run and just full body forward sidearms it like, you know, very Patrick Mahomes esque just flung the ball to Mason Wake you know, and it didn't matter like where it was on the field, didn't matter what arm slot he was throwing out of, didn't matter whether he was standing in the pocket or whether he was on the run. Like Zach Wilson was dealing tonight. Yeah, everything he did was good. And he's been like that all year. You know what I mean? Like he followed up a performance uh, that he threw for 392 yards with a performance that he threw for 325 yards. And he accounted for five touchdowns. Yeah, it's to do this, like you can talk about the strength of schedule. And we've talked about this a little bit before, like that style points matter. 
But you can talk about the strength of schedule, but when you're absolutely suffocating teams on both sides of the ball, it's that makes a difference and it matters. And good teams, like good and great teams, will do that three games in a row like this. Like if you are just an okay team, you may still be three and oh right now, but it's not going to be in the same fashion where just all three phases of the game, everything lights out whistle to whistle. No, like you have no bungles, right? You got to like great teams. Like you got to win, like you just say like good teams, like win your bungles, like Texas last week, right? Like it's, they played like crap, but still managed to eke out a win. Right. But this team, they're not even coming close to anything like that so far. Right. Yep. Uh, And And it doesn't, and it doesn't matter who it is. Like, I mean, Clemson will go play an FCS team. They'll still probably, they'll win the game 49 to 28. Right. Like it's, you know, that's like the routine, what you'd think in terms of a mismatch game. But it's like, this is not taking just, oh, they are overpowering them or, you know, a better team. It's they're a better team and they are playing well. They're playing together. They're playing disciplined and they're playing confidently, which I think is the biggest thing. The confidence piece, I think, is the biggest thing that's been missing from the program for the last five years. I, I think you're right. And it really manifested itself um, in the second quarter of this one. You know, like Louisiana Tech, they had a really good first quarter. I think they had a decent game plan. They had, uh, they have really good athletes. Like Smoke, we talked about Smoke Harris. I kind of want him as a grad transfer. Smoke, if you hear this, if Smoke, if you hear this, or you were, you know, one of the many listeners that we had for a preview show, which was our most listened to episode ever. Thank you. You you can transfer to Provo. We'll take you. Uh, Yeah. Well, Well, yeah, we'll we'll find a way. We'll cut somebody if we have to. No, but they, they had a really good game plan. They came out. They hung with BYU. It was 7-7 at the end of the first quarter. <laughs> That's the kind of game that very quickly can turn into Toledo-BYU circa 2019. But this team is different than that team. This team is confident. They they didn't get rattled by the fact that a you know a lesser opponent had a good game plan and was, you know, hanging with them through a quarter. They didn't get upset that, you know, they had a, I think they had their first, was I think they had a three and out, BYU's first three and out of the year. Yep. They, they didn't get shaken up by that stuff. They stuck to their game plan. They knew that they were better and they just, they needed the time. And eventually that time came and they absolutely were lights out after that. And that is something that average BYU teams of the past would not do. Yep. So who is, I think, until further notice, Zach Wilson cannot be our MVP of the game, right? Like it's, that is just, if he keeps playing this way, we're not going to start talking, like the conversation a few more weeks from now, like if he does, plays this well against UTSA and then Houston would be like the first, like, okay, another should be a decently, you know, talent-wise should match up well with BYU, if he plays the next two games, we're now five games into the season and he's still dealing like this. The conversation is going to pivot to will Zach Wilson even be playing college football in 2021? Um, because his name will start showing up in draft boards. He's already getting some national like Heisman buzz, even though people want to say it's, you know, Mitch Harper making it up. Um, but it's, you know, <laughs> the, the, you know who you are. If, but the, and uh, if you you know who you are, and if you're listening to a BYU Louisiana Tech post game 
podcast the day after the game, then you have some serious reevaluation of your life. Yes. That is in order, right? Like there's no, you have no business listening to this podcast. Yes. I mean, we, we are glad that you are, but we question everything that you've done up to in your life up to this point. Yes. And so, but I mean, it's like, he's going to get, start talking more like tonight during the game, obviously, you know, our good friend Camelor, like he is in love with Zach Wilson as always has been. He's constantly talking about, it, but you had multiple national writers from multiple outlets being like, you know, pushing and talking about Zach Wilson. And it, you know, if that happens and it's like, okay, it's five games into the season, this kid's averaging 85, you know, he's completing 85% of his passes and hasn't thrown an interception. You know, that's, people are going to take notice and he's going to start showing up on draft boards and he's going to have to, you know, decide what he wants to do with this future. And here's the thing he should, the decision is easy in my eyes. Use this year to catapult yourself into the conversation of being a top three, top five quarterback in 2022, because this year the draft class of quarterbacks is loaded. You've got Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields at the top. You've got North Dakota State's Trey Lance at, at number three. Kyle Trask is in the mix there. Jamie King, Jamie Newman. Derek King, Jamie Newman opted out Brock of Georgia. Right. I mean, I think Brock Purdy probably comes back because he's sucked really bad at Iowa State so far this year. And it's kind of the same situation that I think Zach is in. Use this year to get on the map for next year i think if zach even if he plays lights out right even if he maintains this 300 plus yards per game at an 80 percent clip which is unbelievable if he does this all year long there is still a giant asterisk of well he didn't play anybody and right i mean like you could say like the north dakota state kid like well he didn't play anybody either but he didn't have anybody around him like he was single-handedly like he is making his team better but you watch this BYU team play, and it's it, it's very clear that they are on a different tier than their opponents. And so no matter what Zach does this year, he could still get drafted. There's no question. But I think he is costing himself money if he does not come back and prove that he can play this way while healthy against a better schedule in 2021. Agreed. I think that is the decision, but – Say like the topic will start to come up with some regularity. Yeah, up for another couple of weeks. We so, will we will get to write an article on Cougar Sports Insider because there will be some fancy you know Instagram edit where Zach has to announce that he's coming back for another year. Yeah, um, and I think he. I, I haven't looked at the schedule to know whether it's at the beginning of the season or the end of the season, but I think there's one game in particular that. He or no, next year is off, isn't it? They don't. We don't play Utah next year. That's the, the um, no. They gap. play. Oh, they play next year. Twenty twenty one is back in Provo because right. and then Harlan said that this year's game is just canceled. They're not going to like do something funny with the the contract. That this year's game is just canceled, and Utah will travel to Provo again next year. I think. I think he wants that game. If anything else, like he will come back for that game. Um, but I really think he wants Boise. I think he wants to beat Boise this year 
in like ways that and we don't I understand. think he wants the San Diego State game back from last year too. Like I, th- I think those two games may be the Zach Wilson revenge tour. Um, I don't, I don't think people realize how hurt he was coming back from the thumb. Like we've talked about that. that go he was watch. Hurt. But like, right, dude go could barely rip a foot. What his like the he ball couldn't hold like coming out of his hand in the second half of last year. Right. Well, and he tweaked his thumb again against Idaho State, even when he came back. Um, but he, you know, right. I don't think people. Yeah, go watch San Diego State. And the only reason he was playing, right? Like, if if Baylor would have been healthy, Zach stays sitting. But Baylor was hurt too. Jared Hall has concussion issues. BYU needs to get back to a bowl game. And so they're, I mean, they were really looking at a situation where it's like, yeah, okay, we don't trust Joe Critchlow. Is a 75, 80% Zach better than 100% of Joe? And the answer is clearly yes. But I think that's the situation that people aren't giving enough credit to. uh, That 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 was a huge, a huge factor in Zach's second half performance, which was underwhelming by anybody's standard. But what we're seeing this year, yes, he's worked incredibly hard. Yes, he's watched a ton of film. Yes, he is a better player today than he was last year. But we're seeing, I think, is equally, you know, uh, as much of a contributing factor as the hard work that he's put in is his health. He's healthy. And this is the player that we saw as a freshman. These are the tools that we saw as a freshman that are that are eye popping. And now he's just he's a good enough player that he's putting it together, but it's the health that is allowing yep. him to put 100%. it. One hundred percent. So who is with Wilson out of the way? Who was your offensive MVP of the game? Uh, Joe Tukawafu, man, he played great. The <laughs> this is uh, this is the McClintock, McClintock effect, effect I, all over you again. Know, I want to talk. He, Joe played great, but. I just kind of like thinking about it. I was like, I love the story. Like it's, if you look at what happened, right. So he came back from his, he committed to Utah state out of high school, goes on a mission, comes back, signed some paperwork that like, he didn't really apparently. Can we, can we pause? Can I, can I interrupt you so that we can just talk about Utah state? You mentioned Utah state, Gary oh, Anderson. Yeah. He can. That dude is a knob. He comes out. This week in the paper, and says that he is not allowing for an opt out clause for his players to opt out out of, you know, due to COVID concerns. He says, if you're not with us, then you're not with us. Okay, first of all, his entire school, the entire conference almost opted out. Like, let's not forget that, right? They, They were willing to walk away from their entire, entire season. Gary Anderson, now let's look at him personally. He gets a tattoo on his back of a Utah State logo because he's so committed to the Aggies. He's never leaving. He loves this program. And then three days later, he goes to Wisconsin. Nobody blames him for that. It's Wisconsin, right? Nobody blames him. But then he gets a call from Oregon State, and Oregon State is just looking for some information about his buddy Bronco Mendenhall. And Gary says, well, hey, let me tell you, Bronco's fine, but I'm interested in that job. And under the cover of darkness, he leaves Wisconsin. Then he gets fired from Oregon State, 
for a whole bunch of reasons on top of the fact that he was terrible. A whole bunch of reasons that we're not going to get into because this is a kid's show, but it involves cheerleaders and alcohol and a lot of it. He goes to Utah. Utah is reluctant to bring him back because he's got the shady past. He's got this proven track record of he just abandons people. And he convinces Kyle Whittingham that he has no interest in being a head coach again, that he would happily stay at Utah for a number of years as an assistant while he gets his life back on track. Twelve months later, he finds himself a head coaching job back in Logan. So the dude's a snake. The dude has opted out of his own contracts time and time again. The very program that he is coaching for opted out of the entire season earlier this or earlier this summer. And now he is saying that in the midst of a global pandemic that just sent the president of the United States to the hospital, he is saying his players can't opt out because, quote, if you're not with us, then you're not with us. That dude sucks. That was a great A rant. And that is what we are here for on these unedited, unscripted postgame shows. And. I'm not going to lie. I, I that, felt a little coward. You did channel your inner that. coward. Maybe is, is Colin in Salt Lake right now? Like, or Park City? Maybe he's 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 vibing you. He, he might be. He, maybe yes, maybe he, there's some He vibe. does travel there often. I believe his sister lives in Salt Lake. So that's why he goes to Utah so often. Um, but so anyway, yeah, Joe Chukwafu comes back for his mission. He signs some paperwork. I think he was kind of iffy about going to back to Utah State and was already like talking to BYU and, you know, the paperwork he signed was binding, but he didn't think it was, there was like some confusion. And so he ended up, he comes to BYU and he has to sit out a year. He puts in his time with the red shirt. Then he gets into some academic trouble because he's not taking care of business. And at that point you'd think like, I thought his career might be done. In fact, the other person that he kind of washed out with Ula Tolutau, his career is done. Right. You know, they came in together and played in high school together and yeah, that was like a wash out. But Joe, went to UVU, sat out another year completely away from football altogether, got his grades in order, got back to BYU, cha- like switches positions from tight end now to center, and did a very good job tonight. Like not all there was the yeah, one he, play he that great. I loved where he blocked two guys into the bench. That was awesome. That was, but it was he did very well mm-hmm. tonight. There were no bad snaps. He, you know, he didn't we didn't give up a sack like he didn't miss any assignments like obviously we talked about how you know their defense isn't great but still it was his first game experience as an offensive lineman where he couldn't just sit there and block right like he had to worry about the snap and then blocking never done that before in his entire career and i felt like it was a very good like culmination of him what has been a very tumultuous career to this point off the field you know i think it's awesome for him that he buckled down kind of grew up matured a bit figured his stuff out and got back to what he needed and doing what he needed to do to get on the field and play and so he deserved tonight and he took the opportunity and ran with it but since you picked him i well i mean you just had that really excellent rundown of why he is the guy so i feel like okay i stole your so pick my number two you then... get Okay, say who your next one was going to be to see if I say the same thing. Would have said the same thing. Well, we got to we got to flip it because I said I said I went first last time. Okay, you well, got to go first this time. I was going to say 
Mason Wake because the hurdle and breaking tackles and getting upfield was beautiful. And then on the Tyler Algier run, the 50-yarder to the touchdown that got called back because he was like three inches out of ground, he had like that play call in design was beautiful because it was wake was lined up in an H back on the right side of the play. And he kind of scrubbed back in and pulled through the middle and absolutely demolished someone. Like I'm confident in saying that Mason wake is every bit the fullback that Manasseh Tonga was. I will say that. And you can like, I will argue that like he is blocking every bit is good. He is running the ball as well. And he is catching the ball out of the backfield. Well, He's better than Manasse Tonga because Manasse Tonga never hurdled people. And I like I like fat man hurdles. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to disagree with that. I I have this, like, urge that I want to pick a defensive player. For the offensive As my second the pick. The obvious. Oh, no. I, I thought we just said MVP. MVP. We'll get to. So now. now okay. Oh, well, apparently, yeah, so apparently I need to um, listen to you. Go to defense. Who's your defensive MVP? Well, on defense, the obvious choice is Tyler yes. Batty because he had the three sacks. I was impressed with what Keenan Peely did. For the second week in a row, he led the team in tackles. Uh, people don't realize that how well he's played. He was awful on that first long touchdown pass. Everybody was that, awful. That Smoke were... Harris scored. He took a really yeah, he took a terrible angle. But outside of that, he played really, really well. Uh, but I think I don't think I want to give it to either one of those two. I think I want to take um, kind of an unconventional approach here. And I'm going to go with Jackson Kafusi. And let me tell you why. Not because he was, you know, lights out or whatever. He, I think he had a couple of tackles is all, but that guy's had, I think he was one of the COVID guys. I could almost I could also go with Isaiah Heron, who finally saw the field for the first time, I think, ever, like all year. But those guys have had COVID. They've had the reps and downs. They've struggled to find consistent playing time, uh, whether it be because of injuries or whether it be because of COVID or whatever it is, or they're just buried on the depth chart. But the but Jackson came out and in the reps that he got, he played well. Uh, I mean, it's hard for me to say that's the defensive MVP, but the way that BYU is playing defense right now, there are so many guys that are contributing at about an equal level. And because these games are just blowouts, there isn't anybody who's like going to rack up 15 right. tackles in a game. I think, and so I would say, I don't know. So crazy. Hold on, hold on, hold, hold on, Garrett. I'm looking at this. This is crazy. Okay. Uh, I don't, do you still have the TV on following the game? Okay. So I, I don't know what this show is. And now for now from home, I've never heard about it. It's on ESPN too, but they're showing highlights. The Mexican governor went to a soccer field at a Mexican prison. He lined up for a penalty kick and he told the guy who was playing keeper now or fever that's what this is called he told the guy who was playing keeper if you stop this i will let you go free and then like a baller he put the ball in the back um, i got to that is one of the coolest this. things i've ever show. heard 
it now or never. Now or never is what it's called. I it was really small font. I couldn't read it, but now or never, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. This guy walks out onto this soccer field, which is super nice for a prison. This is like some Pablo Escobar looking stuff. He walks out. He puts the ball. If you if you stop this, I will set you free. All this guy has to do is stop a PK. This Mexican governor looks like he's like 65 years old. He goes in. He doesn't even get a running start. He's in a suit, and it's like a toe punch with what looks like his left leg, and he puts it into the corner of the net, and that guy's stuck in prison. What a sequence of events. We need more events like that in life. I wish that our justice, our justice system had an element of that. Not for the murderers, not for the the rapists. Yeah. Like if you're there for 18 to 36 months, we should have like some sort of feat of strength that if you accomplish it, you get to go free. Prize should be for the was that Ninja Warrior challenge show. Like one of those kinds of things. Not just like I mean a goal is whatever, but anyway. That I don't know if it was Kairos Tonga coming out because he was hurt or if he was a little banged up or whatever, but Lorenzo Falatea played great in the entire second half of the game. So I would say that my defensive MVP would have to be just kind of the entire defensive line. We talked about how Louisiana Tech, they don't have a great offensive line, but the last couple of years, the BYU defensive line has not been good either. And but they got they consistently were getting home with three or four guys have not needed to blitz. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just like struggling. It was and you have Caden Hawes getting a good push. The Tyler Batty obviously had three sacks. Kyrus is Kyrus. Lorenzo Fawatea is getting things. There was some like Zach Daw has improved a lot. Bracken El Zach Daw looks playing. good. He does who and there was someone else who got time tonight and I wasn't sure who it is. Um I just it was, it was number ninety one. I'm not uh, do you know our boy Earl Tuioti Mariners who that is. Oh, really? He looks slimmer than he did last year. He does. I think he played that... I can't remember what weight he played, but he played mostly inside. I don't think he's yeah. lost a ton of weight, but he's just got better weight. Yeah. He like didn't the body type I didn't recognize, but so I would say my defensive MP is Lorenzo Fauatea Fauatea, but just the defensive line as a whole did really well. Yeah, and I like that they're doing it uh, kind of just because I'm a little bit petty, but I like that they're doing it with mostly a three-man front. After all the talk for the last however many months about rushing three, dropping eight, they need to play four-man, like four-two-five, all this stuff, we're three games into the season. BYU has played, I don't know, 80% of their snaps, 90% of the snaps, with the three-man front, occasionally they'll bring a stand-up D-end, like a Wilgar or something, but they're really playing a variation of a 3-4, right, with some hybrid players, and it's working. Right. I mean, obviously, the, the, the competition probably plays a role there. I mean, I don't know. They gave up more points tonight than they have the entire season to date. And you would, would have on, thought, so. after that first touchdown, and really after the first quarter, you would have thought the world was on fire. Like looking at our boards during that game, we have our live thread. Like people were hot and Twitter was upset. That's how you know how spoiled we are when a team gets lucky, right? Like they get lucky that we forgot how to tackle, 
they break a long 65 yard, whatever it was, touchdown play. And fans are upset, like getting ready to like light their torches and start throwing stuff. It's which it doesn't make sense because like long plays like that, like those are yeah, that plays, right? Like, okay, like if we don't have our own guys tackling each other, or if Zane Anderson and Troy Warner, you so, know, go back to fifth grade learning I, how to I, tackle, at least blindly dive. At least Troy, feet. like Troy but, was, it was a very poor tackle, but at least he got juked out. I don't know what Zane was doing. Like he, like fell to the ground. Yeah, that was I don't know, but the those plays like that, it's like those are flukes. That's why, like. If you have a 60-yard play, it's a fluke. Like, something completely happened. Like, that was not, oh, you did everything perfect and just, like, made a good play, you know, whatever. That's, like, what we're talking about with, like, the Zach Wilson throws, like, earlier, right, where it's just – it was on the dime, whatever. It's, like, that's a uh-huh. fluke play. And if you – you when you evaluate the game plan, you can't base it around, like, oh, well, they had that 66-yard touchdown. Like, there were multiple guys in position. Yeah, like- the game that was running, almost right? a tackle for loss. Like that was that was how right. close that was. That ball was behind the line of scrimmage. But, so the play call was good on defense, but the guys didn't make a play. That has nothing, nothing. to do with dropping absolutely it, nothing. Right? And the you know you take those game plays out when you are saying okay, that's like an outlier. We're going to take that play out when you look at okay, evaluating the game plan. You got to take the flukes out. You got to take the garbage time at the end of the game when you're just running the ball to tri- run out the clock, right? And it's like. Okay, that's how you, you then you can evaluate the game plan and the game plan was fine but we had people saying like oh this game plan was horrible whatever it's like dude it's halfway through the first quarter relax right like step away e- even at halftime like there were complaints it's like I, it is 28 to 7 and they have less than 100 yards without that long fluke play i don't i don't know what i don't know what you want like if if you're even sort of upset about that then I don't know. I don't know what you need to do, but man, you probably need like a nice caffeinated beverage in your life. Something to help you calm down. I don't know. Maybe it's bad enough. You need a Xanax. Uh, Maybe it's just the pandemic that's getting to you. I don't know what it is, but there is something at your core that you are no longer watching football to have fun. Because if you can't enjoy a 28 to seven half where your team has a pair of sacks. Uh, I think they had five tackles for loss. They had an interception. An interception. points. If you aren't having fun watching that, then I don't know how you what what it would take to make you have fun watching football. Yeah, I I, I don't. They some of the people it just, like it baffles me, and it's there are some usual suspects. And I get it, right? Like some people are conditioned to be a little bit negative. I have an uncle who maybe he listens. If you do, hi, uncle. That he likes to complain about the refs. It doesn't even matter what sport or who is playing. There's always some vendetta that a ref has about one team. And like, I get it. Like some people are just conditioned to fan how they want to fan. But I do have to wonder, like at some point, when do you not want to fan? Because being a fan isn't fun. I think some people love misery, and so they do it because they secretly, that's what they want. Garrett, the president of the United States is in the hospital. How weird is that? It is weird. I don't know. I was talking to a friend, 
And he said, yeah, this is the first time we've had to worry about the president's health since Reagan was shot. And I had like two emotions that immediately went through my mind of like, oh, wow, that's true. And then, oh, my gosh, Reagan was shot. Like, I totally forgot. And it was like, a, yeah, I mean, that happened. Before yeah, I was born. and I, I, like, I'd I read about it like I knew, but I had spaced it. And it was like that moment on. I think it's a it's it's a Brooklyn Nine Nine cold open that I think everybody has probably seen, where uh, they're doing a yeah the they're doing the lineup and they, he makes everybody sing the Backstreet Boys, and at the end he's like oh my gosh chills literal chills, and then the wife or the sister of the victim says that one number five that's the man who murdered my brother, and Jake Peralta goes oh my gosh I totally forgot about that part. That's kind of how I felt when he was like, this is the first time we've worried about this since Reagan was shot. And it was like, oh, my word, Reagan was shot. Like, I've been so caught up into all of the politics. Like, I totally forgot that we used to have, like, real problems. So, anyway, I think that's crazy. I know this isn't a political podcast, but the president of the United States is currently hospitalized with the virus that has wiped out the world. Like, that's a crazy story. Yeah. And I mean, he's old and overweight and not that healthy. That's kind of the prime right. target for this thing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but what other things, something else that stuck out to me during this game, and I kind of compared Mason Wake to Manasse Tonga, is did you kind of feel like the offense has gone back to Robert and I 1.0 in a lot of ways. Obviously, they're doing a lot of different things like the Jess Hoop and stuff, but it kind of like I feel like we have seen more I formation this year than we have since yeah, 2009. I think, I think what right? it is, is like is it's you, we're finding we're finding you throw the ball a lot. You you know you run a lot of the air raid pass concepts, spread the ball out, create the mismatches that you have. But then also we have big running backs. We have good linemen. We got a fullback, and we're just going to plow forward and get yeah. yards when we need them on the ground. And that's and, our identity. We have an identity now, and we've circled back after almost you know now ten years in the wilderness. Thank goodness it wasn't forty, but you know ten years in the wilderness. It's kind of like Jeff Grimes has circled back to hey, uh, actually we were pretty good then couple times we won a conference championship and finish in the top yeah, 25. I think there's here. an element to that. I would actually say that the identity and and today maybe isn't the best example because there were a handful of penalties and things that uh, that we hadn't seen through the first two weeks. But I think the identity is execution. Like this team has gotten back to fundamental offense and everybody is in the right spot on every play. You watch some of the, especially on like the rollouts, I love watching these rollout plays that that uh, that BYU does because I watch the running back. I get like fascinated, and a lot of the time it's Lopini Katoa. It, it, Tyler Algier does this a little bit, but it's mostly Lopini when this happens. But if you watch Lopini on these rollouts, he fakes, uh, you know, he fakes to get getting the handoff, goes on the play action, but he doesn't go out for a pass route most of the time. He his footwork is impeccable. That he gets the he, he fakes the play action, and then he gets himself in such an awesome position that when Zach reverses field and comes out on this bootleg, he's there to pick up a block and create this seal. Now, the, the, the receivers are doing their thing, and more often than not, their routes have been crisp enough that they're open, which, again, is execution. But I just love watching 
the running back on these plays because I think that it is the perfect uh, embodiment of what everybody is doing under Jeff Grimes and this current coaching staff, and that is flawless execution on every play. And I'm really excited about that for the future because Jeff Grimes is playing well enough or is coaching well enough that he's going to be mentioned for other jobs at the end of this season. It's just going to happen. I think BYU fans need to get comfortable with the idea that Jeff Grimes could be gone. And while everybody likes to take their shots at Grimes on, you know, because of last year, because of the red zone or whatever, he's a damn good coach and he is going to be a, I think a hot commodity this year. But when I look at the execution, that is more than the offensive coordinator. That is the position coaches. And I think BYU has some really natural replacements for Grimes in Aaron Roderick, in Fessy Satake, in Steve Clark that can continue this age of execution that the offense is on. And this could be BYU's identity for a while. And I think that is <clears throat> as exciting as anything else that I saw on the field tonight. Agreed. And I think one of those things, like you mentioned, <clears throat> Lapini's footwork and getting on the edge and kind of creating that block, it's kind of the hallmark of a good offense. So you can tell when teams are executing well, really just if you watch the wide receivers on like when the ball is raining, not even when they're running the ball even too so much, but it's like offenses are running well and think people are executing and bought in when it's like you have downfield blocking from wide receivers on every single play, like on pretty much every single play. Like if it's a run play, yes, they're going to do their, you know, stock block, whatever, but it's, you know, as soon as someone catches the ball, it doesn't matter who it is. It's it, everyone is turning up field. Like we got Zach Wilson running down, trying to throw a block, right? It's everyone is getting up field, trying to make a lane for our guys to get through and find space. And it's, you know, that just, it shows buy-in it shows, you know, maturity, it shows confidence. Like it's all those things that you want to see out of your team and kind of coming together and clicking. And it's, I think it's one of the biggest tells of, okay, this is, this group is all in. Yeah, I think that's perfect. And I think that that, uh, I think it's infectious. I think the entire team feels that, but you really see it with the offense. And it's the first time since Max Hall that <clears throat> BYU can get the ball with a minute and 30 seconds and have to go 80 yards down the field. And I feel confident that they're going to get there. And that comes down to execution. The talent is there. The talent is great. Well, has had talent over the last decade. We were, we were a yard, a reviewed and overturned third down conversion away from being able to do that twice in that minute and a half. Cause we scored oh, in yeah. 37 <laughs> seconds. And then, and then we almost got the ball back with another 35 seconds and would have gotten at least a field goal out of it. I'm confident. Like I'm positive. We would have at least gone down and we would have said, screw it. Like, Old Droid, we trust you from 60. Let's go. Yeah, uh, man, just so many things. This team is fun to watch. The, everything about this team is fun to watch. It's getting harder and harder to think of things to say about this team because they've just been so good and so so consistent that it I, – I mean, what else do you say? Like, they look spectacular. I mean – Everyone knows it looks spectacular, and it kind of makes hard to find because we're oh, yeah. nitpicking 
and finding like the little things that we noticed, right? Watching the game. And that's what we get to focus on. Like, it's not a big thing or strategy thing, or why do we do this? Why do we go away from this or whatever? It's, it's more fun to say, like, did you notice this random little thing that happened on this play? Cause I happen yep. to be looking at that person. Right. And it's, I don't know who their the BYU football account was posting a couple oh, of, 22 clips. More of that. I don't know who I would. Okay. You want a revenue stream. Okay. ESPN. I have, I have an ESPN plus subscription. I will pay however many dollars you want for ESPN plus plus to I thought get we all were, I thought games. we were going like, to get it today. BYU on their Twitter account, they had their rebel cam. And I was really excited about that. Like it was just a different thing. I think they, they tagged it as like a different view. And I thought it was going to be like, Hey, they've got a camera set up in the booth and we're going to get to watch this game like rebel. But turns out Rubel Cam was a camera on Rubel the whole game. I don't care what Greg Rubel looks like while he's calling a game. I never see him. He's a radio guy. Why am I watching him call the game? Show me all 22. Yeah, I BYU TV, if you want to do a paid subscription to get me all 22 film, I would pay money for that, yeah, and I know many lot. others would. There too. are a lot that would. Uh, I spent most of the fourth quarter trying to think of something to write for my post-game recap. I don't know if you saw this, but I, I went with uh, The Good Place as my theme because, listen, these are blowouts, right? Like, it's getting harder and harder to write about these blowouts. And you're going to see at Deseret News, at KSL, and every outlet is going to talk about, they're going to have the same quotes. They're going to talk about the same BYU continued to dominate stuff. It's the same story that you're going to see everywhere. I try to be a little bit different. And I went with the good place. I was able to work in the word forking three times into my post-game recap. And I think, I can't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure I said, holy shirt balls at one point. And I had a YouTube clip of all of the curse words from the good place throughout the entire series that ended up in my post game recap. That's how well BYU is playing that I'm able to spend an entire quarter because the game is so out of hand that I can only like passively pay attention to the game and try to come up with ways to make the post game story entertaining with clips from pop culture. That's how well BYU is playing. That is a statement game and a statement article. You're right. It is. And on that note, we will leave you all. Wish you all a good night. Happy Saturday. Enjoy general conference this weekend if you are so inclined. And we will be back on Wednesday night, Thursday morning, to talk about the UTSA Roadrunners and... This reminds me, I do need to reach out to Jared, uh, who is the UTSA beat writer. We had talked in the offseason about doing an interview with him and getting him on, on on Wednesday. Give him hell. Let's give him hell this week, Jeff.